0: Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Hassan Pierre, CEO and co-founder of luxury sustainable fashion marketplace, Maison des Mode. The company sits in a happy place with more fashion brands now operating more sustainably and seeing the value in selling through a marketplace instead of wholesale. I wanted to ask Hassan about the state of the company since March, and to what extent consumers are prioritizing sustainability. Welcome, Hassan.
1: Thank you, Jill, for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for joining. Got to dig into this whole business model. And I mean, do you agree that you're in a happy place?
1: (laughs) I do agree that we are in a happy place despite everything that's going on. Um, we're, We're in a great spot.
0: Yes, all things considered, for sure. So let's walk through the business model. Uh, 2015, is that the correct launch?
1: That is the correct launch, October of 2015.
0: Awesome. And at the time, it was was it you, Amanda, Carmen? Were all, all three of your business partners on board at that point?
1: Uh, no, at that stage, it was just Amanda and I as co-founders. Um, and we brought Carmen along in 2018. So just a few years after that.
0: Got it. So you came together. What did you feel was missing from the market? What problem were you aiming to solve?
1: Well, my initial background was in design and focused on sustainable design. And Amanda's background was an editorial background, also focused on sustainable fashion. So we both realized that there was a gap um, in the marketplace, especially in the retail marketplace, that specifically housed fashion brands that all had this sustainable footprint. So our whole mission and goal was to not only just move the conversation forward for what sustainable fashion represents, but also, you know, allow a marketplace to sell these different products and allow consumers to have a one-stop shop for all of these great things.
0: Amazing. Well, since, have you seen more, I guess, competition? Is at this point, any sort of attention towards sustainability—do you see it as a um, a plus? I know that, like maybe the Netta of the world, everybody's kind of launched the sustainable category. They're giving consumers a place to go. How do you how do you view that?
1: Well, it's interesting because we still don't have any, I guess, direct competitors. You know, specifically retailers that focus on only sustainable products. Um, which yeah. interesting is great is that you know having these sustainable products on net or on uh, uh, Selfridges, you know, it actually allows the net customer to understand what we're selling even better. Um, so it, it, it we look at it as less of a competition and, and more of um, a support system. Um, so that's how we kind of view it. And I think that what we strive for in the end is that Ideally, we'd love all of fashion to be sustainable, you know, so um, that's that's if net a and other retailers are looking to support brands that are being mindful in all ways. That's all that we could actually ask for in the end.
0: Yeah. Is differentiating your inventory in terms of um, exclusives or maybe brands that others aren't carrying? Is that a big um, a big focus?
1: Yeah. And, and first and foremost, we're a luxury retailer. So we operate in the same sort of way. Aesthetics come first. You know, the secondary component is the sustainability factor. Um, but in terms of, you know, exclusives and 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 having brands that are really up and coming, that's all very something that we focus on. Um, Amanda, my co-founder and our chief brand officer, does a great job at really curating brands that um, really are fashion forward and interesting and allow us to have that edge and competition against other retailers.
0: Nice. So what is the business model? How does it work? Is it more like a marketplace or are you purchasing the items? What, what goes down?
1: So the business Maison de Mode is two parts. Uh, right now, I guess we'll speak about the marketplace, which is our dropship marketplace, which is a collection of curated pieces of sustainable fashion, everything from ready-to-wear, fine jewelry, home goods, um, and accessories of all kinds. Um, And so the beauty of it is that we work with brands' existing inventory, um, which is what we call our smart inventory model. um, And also we allow brands to make items to order. Um, So we really focus on not producing excess waste and really focus on, you know, allowing brands to alleviate and grow their sell-throughs um, without the headache and pressure of, of you know, the, the traditional retail model of um, meeting those, those numbers and so forth. So it allows us from a retail perspective to be risk-free um, which from a uh, financial support perspective and a business perspective is quite lucrative and great for us. Yeah. Um, and also for the brands, it allows them to be more flexible. Um, and especially for up-and-coming brands, it's really important that they have that flexibility, especially within um, a marketplace that is so well-known and, and gives them that, that sort of upper hand with their first um, pieces that they're coming out with.
0: Yes, that's interesting. I know a lot of brands have recently told me that they're moving to on-demand manufacturing. Uh, would you say that sustainable brands or br- brands that are focused on sustainability um, and the wholesale model do they mix? Can that can that gel?
1: Um, I think the wholesale model is uh, the current wholesale model is definitely in need of some restructuring. So I think that down the road, if it's done correctly, why not? I think anything is possible if it's done right. Um, in the current state of things, I just don't think it really goes hand in hand or makes sense. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that if somebody wants to rethink that model and, and how it can be more more conscious and thoughtful, um, not just from a profit perspective, but from an environmental or social perspective, then I definitely think that there's room for that in the future.
0: Definitely. So do you guys, you take a cut of each sale? Is that how it works?
1: Correct, correct. We work in a strict, mar- very straightforward marketplace. We work off um, percentages, uh, just as if it was a consignment deal. Um, so brands are very familiar with this model and then they drop ship directly from, you know, their fulfillment centers to our consumers. Um, but everything is done through the lens of Maison de Mode, um, from the customer service to, you know, the checkout and so forth. So it's a very seamless, um, shopping experience.
0: Yes. So who is fulfilling all of this? What does your team look like um, today is it largely technology and data folks. Uh, who's on the team?
1: So it's it, it's it, we're a very small team still. You know, a lot of people think that we're we're a huge company, which we're in the process of just gearing up for our Series A fundraise coming up, which we're quite excited about, which is going to be a lot of expansion for us. But in in terms uh-huh. of our existing team, we're only a team of eight people. We have um, we have uh, we have everybody from you know, our public relations to uh, creative content, to technology, um, really fulfilling all the roles that we sort of need to have. But um, it's, it's not the largest team, which is quite great, because we're, we're hyper efficient, if you could, if you want to say that.
0: Yeah, definitely. When did Car- so Carmen came in a few years um, after the launch? Uh, I referred to her recently as a legend in the fashion tech <laughs> world. Um, yeah, tell me about um, her role right now and since the beginning.
1: Carmen came in two years after our launch, and uh, exactly as you've mentioned, it she's a legend, and she really saw an opportunity with us. Um, and she's such a visionary. I mean, everything that she's gotten involved in in the early stages have been hyper successful. And, and and that's where, you know, retailer fashion has sort of led to go. So um, uh, bringing her on board and having her become a third partner and investor and um, is just invaluable. She her role is just exactly like Amanda and mine, aside from our our traditional roles in the company. But she oversees all aspects and she's just quite um She's 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 very much of a sounding board into really steering our company um, in the direction to not only be su- a success from a profit perspective, but also a success in terms of having a positive impact on our planet. So it's been um, it's been really great to have her on board because, again, like you said, she has both that technology, fashion, retail perspective, but also most. A lot of people don't know her if they do know that she's quite involved with a lot of um, major organizations like Conservation International. And she sits on the board of the um, WAF World uh, International Federation. So um, it's a great mix.
0: Definitely. So as um, she's helping to steer and as you're looking to the future, what where do you think that, the re- that retail is going? Specifically, uh, yeah, retail in general. And how do you guys play in?
1: So... You know, again, we're a marketplace and and Maison du and I was touching over this at the beginning, is a two-part business. We call ourselves a platform business as a whole. So we have our marketplace, which is our curated, you know, shopping destination. And we have what we call Mode Communications, which is a consulting and a communications arm. So the idea is to be a company that not only um, has major touch points from a media perspective, um, but also a marketplace perspective and fusing both of those together to have a seamless um, a seamless business in the sense where you have a seamless B2B and a B2C business. So that's, um, that's really where we are looking to head. I think a lot of people view us as strictly a marketplace and don't really see the B2B business side of it, which traditionally is how that goes. But as we continue to expand and grow, Um, I think we'll be able to fuse them a little bit more naturally, um, whether that be through launching a magazine or some sort of media component. Um, We do a ton of events and have, you know, a big entertainment footprint. So there's a lot of things like that in the works.
0: Yes. So tell me a little bit more about what brands are coming to you for in terms of um, providing consulting consulting services. Is it, yeah, what are they asking?
1: So it's um it's a plethora. So mode communications, what it really did for us was allow us to work with brands outside of the marketplace. And and when I mean that I our marketplace is heavily focused on small emerging designers. Sometimes we work with larger brands who have, you know, a sustainable capsule, but it's really focused on emerging talent. Um there's also a need and, and, and one of our missions for Maison de Mode as a whole, as a business, is to really further the conversation of sustainable fashion. Um, So what does that mean? Um, It means that in order for us to really feel like we're successful, the whole industry has to move forward with us. So that's where we really came up with the concept to launch this consulting and communications part of the business. We also have a really large you know, library of different, you know, textiles and production techniques and, and, and so many different um, sustainability pioneers and NGOs. So when we realized that brands were interested in entering this conversation of sustainable fashion and they didn't know how, it really left us space to, you know, really come from a creative point of view but also from a communications perspective um into how that works. So we do everything from communicating about products for brands or partnering with brands that are launching sustainable products. Um, and we do other things from implementing sustainable practices into businesses, uh, whether that be energy efficiency or whether that be sustainable production techniques. Um, so it runs the gamut in terms of the services that we offer. Yeah. And, and then in terms of brands it runs from fashion companies to tech companies to media companies but again all interested in uh, entering the conversation of sustainability through fashion
0: nice what would you how would you describe the breakdown in terms of uh, revenue money coming in through the marketplace versus other um, areas
1: well we've launched the 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 communications and consulting part of the business uh, shortly after Carmen came on board. So that, again, is part of her visionary um, sort of input into the business was really seeing that there was a need for this. Um, Now these businesses are uh, representing roughly, the marketplace is roughly about 60%, whereas the comms is about 40%.
0: Um,
1: So it's quite interesting to see Um, How they've been able to support the whole business as a whole, just having two sort of revenue streams that are that are quite fruitful.
0: That makes sense. I feel like you guys are really positioning yourself to be able to, I don't know, incubate brands or um, maybe bring some brands into the fold, own them. Is that something that's on the radar?
1: Well, you know i hadn't thought of that before, Jill, but uh now you're giving me some ideas, so it's definitely <laughs> something that I think we should consider in the future but um you know we're always looking i think the the beauty of our business is that we're highly flexible um and I think that's why we've been able to continue to be successful, especially during these times and and so i I do think that that's a possibility in the future. Why not
0: definitely. So who is your customer? We talk a lot about on Glossy about the fact um, overwhelmingly, I think, consumers think of sustainability, tell me if you agree, as a plus. Like if they bought something that, um, I don't know, can be recycled or what. It, it's just a bonus and they don't maybe lead with that when they're going to make a purchase. Um, are you? Is your customer um, unique in that way where they come to you first when they want to buy something? Um, who is she?
1: So we have two customers. We, we definitely have the customer that is looking for sustainable products. And that that customer has grown exponentially since we launched. Um, you know, and those customers are really what we've noticed look for specific um, sustainable touch points, vegan or cruelty-free products being one of the most or, or probably the most searched um, of those categories, and then our other customer is really just a fashion girl. You know, she's a consumer that just likes beautiful things, and that that bag just so happens to have a really great story, or was made consciously. Um, so again, that's why we always define ourselves as first and foremost a luxury retailer. The aesthetics come first, um, and yeah. then the secondary is just that added bonus, uh, the cherry. You know, the cherry on the cake. I think the that's a saying that um, everything has you know, that um, sustainable component to it.
0: Yes. Are there specific standards um, in order to uh, sell through your company uh, criteria in terms of sustainability? Yes.
1: Yeah, so um, we do keep sustainability on a level playing field. And, and, and first, we like to define sustainability as anything that has a social, environmental or an economic impact that's greater than their aesthetic. Um, And then what we've done is we've developed a series of sustainability icons, which basically identify the sustainable touch points that a brand or product has. Um, And this ranges from anything that's made in the USA, to made with organic or recycled materials, to cruelty-free or vegan items, or to items that give back. Um, I think we have about seven and we're adding about three new um, icons as well. But What this does is allow us to say, okay, here is what is great about this brand. Um, Here's what they're doing. And it's very easy for the consumer to identify the icon with their sustainability trait. Um, And then with that, we do a lot of due diligence Mm -hmm. in-house. But then we do a lot of due diligence working with um, NGO partners who really, you know, go on ground, especially within our artisan trade businesses and so forth, just to really you know make sure that everything um, is of course correct and accurate and and so forth.
0: Yes, what can you tell me about uh, the first five years in terms of what's worked to acquire customers? what growth you've seen?
1: Um, I think the most interesting, uh, acquisition for customers for us has really been our pop-ups. Um, our marketplace is, is not just a marketplace. We sort of identify it as an omni-channel marketplace. Um, so we do, you know, very conceptual brick-and-mortar pop-ups two to three times a year um, in different um, regions. And that's been a really great tool Um, to gain new customers and lasting customers. Um, Not only does it allow customers who have interacted with us online to interact with us in a physical sense, but of course it allows those customers who discover us from a physical sense to then continue to interact with us long after in the digital sense once we've left. Um, So that's been pretty um, interesting for us. And then I also think that um, what's done well for us is... um, what we call, like, I, I call it our three P's. So again, pop-ups is one of them, press is another, and people. Um, I think that we're very strategic when it comes to the people, or I guess brand ambassadors that we interact with with our brand. And, and, and that really has been fruitful in terms of gaining new customers. Um, and then, of course, press. You know, we're very media savvy and we have a very big media footprint. And I think that traditional... Um, A lot of people think that traditional media, you know, print and and digital is kind of out the window, but um, it's still a really great tool, especially from a business perspective that doesn't cost, you know, too much to acquire those customers. So that's our three P's are basically where it's at.
0: Yeah. What's been your approach to digital marketing?
1: um so we you know digital marketing is something that we haven't really done so much of we've sort of played around with the idea um it is going to be something post our fundraise that we're going to do that will be um a big footprint that we'll have um I think for us we 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 really like to sort of uh do a lot of due diligence in terms of how um, digital marketing could be effective for us and, and the most effective for an ROI. And, and I think we found, um, I think we found uh, our route there. So um, it's not something that we've done too much of, but we're going to be playing a lot in that space coming up.
0: Great. And po- you'll, you'll return to pop-ups. Is there any plan with the um, shaky state of physical retail? Any plan to change that strategy?
1: Um, Nope, there isn't. I think that eventually the world will um, uh, hopefully go back to some sort of state of normal. But uh, I do think that physical retail, um, even in today's time, isn't going away. But again, that was an old model that needed to be revamped. And uh, I think uh, this situation has allowed us to now really think about what a physical in-store experience is, um, not only from a sales perspective, but also from a brand uh, cultivation perspective and so many other things and experiences. So um, I do think uh, now, more than ever, um, people are going to want to get into the store as well, but they don't want to go back to what the stores looked like. So um, we'll definitely be planning some future some future pop-ups that'll be um, quite interesting for sure,
0: yeah. what do you, what do you think about permanent a permanent store? Has that ever been a plan, or is that is that too risky?
1: Um, we've looked at we've thought about what that could look like um, in terms of a permanent store slash fulfillment center. Um, again, it would really have to be based off of logistics in terms of geographics and if it made sense from a perspective to house a permanent store from a foot pra- traffic perspective that could also fulfill potential items if we wanted to remove ourselves from being a, a dropship marketplace or if we, so it's, it's something that we've toyed around with, but I, you know, it's still way too early to tell and the retail landscape, you know, since we launched in 2015 and, now, even looking at it now, five years later, is still um, so unknown. So we're going to continue to watch it, and um, it's always in the back of our minds. But uh, but it's not something that we're going to be really um, pursuing. I think in the in the existing moment.
0: Got it. If if you were to consider what um, city um region would have maybe the most potential i'd just just curious if you would maybe um even with your pop-ups because we all know new new york real estate is not cheap are you going for the big cities or are you going for maybe secondary markets um that are maybe more affordable but um yeah a different crowd
1: um yeah and and i don't you know i wouldn't definitely categorize these locations as secondary cities but possibly some people might but we do know that San Francisco is a place that we would definitely open up a store if we were going to do something. Dallas and the Houston region is another one. And then actually Washington, D.C. um, is a place that we have done pop-ups in really well. All these places are, we just feel like there's a lack of a retail experience. um, And there's obviously a clientele that is... um, uh, is starved for that experience as well. So when they have the availability there, um, it, they've performed quite well.
0: Great. And you mentioned events very early on in the conversation. Um, those tip, um, traditionally took place in your pop-ups. Is that right?
1: No. So events uh, would fall under our mode communications part of the business. So again, education is a huge part of what we do. And, and not just education in terms of, you know, partnering with uh, schools and so forth, but really educating the general public on what sustainability in fashion is. And so how do we do that? You know, events was what we would do. We we have something called our campaign, Hollywood campaign, which um, is a big entertainment uh, slash fashion campaign that we do during award season. Um, it starts with the Golden Globes Lunch with Vogue, which includes a fantastic sustainable panel. Um, and then our campaign Hollywood season ends with the big sustainable style awards that happens the night before the Oscars. Um, so, nice. so, so that's really interesting in terms of events, because that's obviously a very Hollywood and high fashion situation. And you can imagine, you know, how, you know, celebrity affects uh, the general public. Um, and then again, we do educational events. So that could be Um, Things where we've done, you know, Microsoft um, has asked us to put on some, you know, different educational panels, or we've done things with the CFDA or um, South by Southwest. So, um, again, for us, it's not just about moving the needle from the marketplace perspective and really growing consumers there, but it's also about having to really grow the consumer's interest in sustainable fashion as a whole um and i think that's nice. what a strong suit of our business is is that you know not only have we been pioneers in terms of a marketplace for 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 this long but also pioneers in the sense that we've been um, pioneering this movement and, and really focused from the beginning about, you know, spreading this word and understanding that in order for the marketplace or our brands to be successful, that the concept would need to be highly recognized and highly accepted. Um, so that's uh, that's where events fall into. And luckily, we were able to squeeze in um, events earlier this year before, before COVID happened. And Hopefully, if things get back to normal, we'll resume some of our normal activity next year.
0: So you're out there educating. Um, what brands would you say are really doing it right? If you had to maybe call out um, the ultimate example of you know, a go buy, they're, they're equally fashionable and they're sustainable. And um, yeah, who's, do- who's doing a great job?
1: Um, I would say that Gabriella Hurst really does a great job. Um, And she really thinks about the whole process, um, which I believe is, you know, the most important aspect of it. You know, she's really considerate about how the fibers that she uses affect the environment, you know, from the hands that produce her clothes to even her stores, how they're designed and the materials used in there. Um, And then, of course, from an aesthetic perspective, I think, you know, she's really um, nailed what women really want to wear right now. So if I could say somebody, it's definitely her.
0: Yeah, I love her for sure. Um, talk to me about since March, what challenges have you guys seen? What are people buying? Um, has it been kind of a limbo state like everyone else?
1: Well, for us, it's, you know, Again, you asked me if I was in a happy place earlier, and I said yes, despite all the the current outcome. And it's been really interesting because I think this whole um, pandemic and people really looking into their health and understanding the importance of that has really accelerated um, the general consumer's interest in sustainable fashion. Um, And so for us, that was really um, beneficial. And I think that a lot of Retailers, traditional retailers who were closing down during that time and couldn't service consumers really also. Um, was a great thing for us, you know, from a business perspective. You know, our our business shot up one hundred and sixty one percent over between March and April, which was really insane to see. Um, and then, nice. in terms of what people were buying, it's exactly what you could expect they were buying. You know, we we <laughs> call we call it lux loungewear. Um, so anything that was really beautiful and cozy and comfortable, but also very. Um, you know, again, still aesthetically, you know, great. Not, 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 uh, not your just typical sweatpants. Um, and then something really interesting that we saw was that um, uh, home goods um, was a product category that grew quite a bit, which makes sense. People were spending time in their home and looking to make that home their sanctuary. Um, and then fine jewelry, um, which I always think is so interesting. Um, when people, especially during these type of times, are purchasing fine jewelry. But, you know, when they're not buying dresses and can't really go, you know, to fancy events and so forth, I think that fine jewelry makes that same escape sort of a reality. And you can wear diamond necklace with you know a gray sweater and and it's totally okay um so so it's that's that's been very interesting um for us in terms of what's been sort of working and uh obviously traditional ready-to-wear um shoes um aren't things that have been moving so much but that all sort of makes sense
0: Yes. I, lo- I think that fine jewelry is so interesting too. In my, in my mind, it's like, I'm going to buy this. It won't go out of fashion if I'm quarantined for another year. <laughs> when I emerge, <laughs> it'll be there for exactly. sure.
1: It's definitely an investment piece.
0: Definitely, and are, will this kind of the consumer behavior now? They're obviously, like you said, buying luxury loungewear. Are they? Um, will that impact your selection moving forward? Will you um, seek out brands that specialize in that?
1: For sure, I think that again, you know, like any great retailer, you know, you 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 provide your customers what they're looking for. You know, so we would be out of touch if we were just selling ball gowns, and you know high heels, you know, if that was in our brand matrix, you know, that would, really wouldn't make sense. So, you know, I think, again, being a tech company, we have a lot of data, we have a lot of metrics, we know what our consumers are looking for, what they're searching for, what they want. Um, and of course, that dictates, you know, the 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 brand and the selection of products that we're definitely, you know, putting forth out there for our consumers to shop.
0: Yes, You mentioned kind of consumers uh, becoming more conscious right now. They're thinking about where they're investing uh, and also brands are being called out for being (laughs) bad and dirty and wasteful. Um, Talk to me about where you see fashion going, where you see sustainable fashion going. Where do we go from here?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, both Amanda and my career in sustainable fashion is about 10 years now. Um, Deep, you know, from her solely writing about sustainability and fashion and myself from a design perspective, from a sustainable design perspective, you know, to launching Maison de Mode from 2015 to now. And it's just interesting to watch the conversation evolve in terms of what is of importance. You know, when we first started... Um I guess when this conversation or sustainability and fashion was for even a concept, you know was very focused on the material you know organic cotton, you know organic linen you know that 's what sustainable fashion was. you know that conversation then developed and moved into okay, well, who's producing the clothes? you know, are they being paid a living wage? are they you know working in in proper conditions? You yeah. know, so then the, the art, art, artisanal products, you know, so the the hand of who makes your clothes also became important and that became a sustainable touch point. You know, how are we producing our clothes? You know, so the conversation evolved from not just being from the actual textile and material to also how we produce it. You know, and, yeah. and the conversation has also then moved into now how do we consume fashion? You know, waste. Um, So it's just interesting to watch, you know, the evolution of fashion. And I always like to go back to the food movement. Um, I think that very early on, you know, the organic food movement and all these sort of what we what were known as niche food concepts were very early stage until the, you know, mass general public really understood, you know, the benefits and the important, not only from a health perspective, but from an environmental perspective, did people really take into consideration all the different types of food aspect. So that's where I really see sustainable fashion going. You know, if you care about animals and the, you know, their environmental footprint, then, why are you buying leather shoes? Or now here's an alternative for that. Or I don't want to buy leather shoes. I want to focus on buying cruelty-free products. You know, so I think as people really connect with it more, we'll start seeing, you know, this idea grow. But for me, I think, you know, the next 10 years or even the next five years, I think sustainable fashion is going to go to a place where, you know, it potentially is about, protection, you know, as as global warming continues and as elements and, and different climates take different shape, you know, how will clothes protect you? You know, is yeah. it it's protecting you from extreme weather conditions and heat and cold? And then also the health part of it, you know, health is now such a big topic for everybody. And, you know, we all use technology, but how can we put that technology into our clothes, regulating body temperature, maybe protecting us from different bacterias and so forth. So I think that eventually can become a part of the conversation of sustainability and fashion with, you know, the basics really being, you know, how are we producing this from a mindful, mindful perspective? And also how are we consuming these mindfully? And I yeah. think that's um, really where the future of this is going to go and just have consumers realize that it's not just an endless stream of take, 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 you know, and that yes. we are all a part. It's not just the brand or the big retailer or the production. You know, it's it's the consumer. You know, if they demanded better products, then companies would sell them better products because if you stop shopping with that company, you better believe they're gonna start making things that you are gonna wanna buy. So right. that's that to me is where it's all heading.
0: Yes. Um, you mentioned the education that you do in events, um, wondering, considering Amanda's editorial background and as, uh, sustainable fashion moves beyond the basics, uh, what's the right balance in terms of the content, um, maybe on your brand pages or on your site, how are you co- incorporating that to get that education across?
1: So that's such a great question. And, um, you know, it, we're also just, I'm going to give you, we're, we're going to be expanding in that, uh, in that area very soon with the closing of our round, which we're super excited in and and really expanding that media footprint and content. But the, the beauty of these sustainable brands is that there is so much of a story there. You know, again, how do you filter that story? It's very easy. You just chop it up into 10 different pieces and, you know, feed it to the consumer in very small, subtle ways. But again, it's about the visual component. It's about, you know, this is fashion. You know, I always say that, if a shirt saves a thousand lives, but it's ugly, nobody's going to buy it. So we need, right. as a retailer, to make people dream and to really make people want to buy things, um, not just because they're good, but also because they want to wear them. And so I think, like, Amanda does such a great, you know, that's her strong suit, you know, so well. She does it so well. And um, I think that it's a it's a fine balance, but it's also a balance of... Um, exploration as well, you know, allowing the consumer to like explore more if they want to. So, you know, there might be information on their homepage, and then they look at a product, and then there are more details in the product. So it's really about, again, like allowing yourself to also educate yourself through exploring and just wanting to learn.
0: Definitely. Well, excited to see all that happens after this round. I feel like you guys are like ready to charge. <laughs> we
1: <laughs> are exciting. very ready to charge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Hassan. This was so much fun. I appreciate you being here.
1: I uh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your time.
0: That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre bien Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.